Welcome everyone to the Leadership Evolve podcast where each week we uncover modern principles and practices to help one lead a better life both at work and at home. My guest today is a leadership expert who has been coaching and developing leaders for almost three decades. As the title of this podcast suggests, leadership has evolved, and it was awesome to see how she has evolved her own approach in terms of her programs and overall philosophy. The aim for this episode was really to pick the brain of someone who has worked with so many different types of executives, industries, and departments in an effort to better understand the subject in itself. We had a great conversation discussing what patterns and trends she's seen with leaders over time, and I really love her take on emotional and positive intelligence. We really dive into what makes EQ so vital, and you'll really begin seeing the steps that you can take uh, to better manage your team and to exceed their expectations. Everyone, please give it up for Allison Mathie. And there we are. We're officially live. All right, Allison, right. thanks so much uh, for your time and for agreeing to do this. You're welcome. Yeah. You know, when I first saw that you work with developing leaders for over 25 years, uh, the first thing that struck me was so many personalities that you've had to come across. And within those personalities, each of them has different goals and hardships and visions, etc. cetera. Um, what, is there a common pattern or characteristic that you've witnessed with these leaders before you even get to work with them? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a great question because for a person to go into leadership, I believe each person has to have a level of risk-taking uh, because when you're a leader, you're making a lot of decisions. And sometimes if you're at the way top, you have to make decisions without having a lot of people helping you make those. So being able to take risks is one of those competencies I think are really important for leaders, along with many others. But if you were to ask for just one, that would be it. Definitely. And it's before uh, something that they need to do, um, when you get to work with them, that first meeting that you have with them to figure out, you know, here's what you need to do X, Y, and Z to become a, a competent and an efficient leader at your organization. Um, is there something between all those leaders that you've been able to identify saying, you know what, no matter who I see, they all have this one thing or no, are they all just completely different in terms of what they need to do? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I would say yes. I mean, there's there's a lot of differences. Um, unfortunately, what happens in organizations is oftentimes people get promoted into roles because they're really good at doing the job. Right. You know, they're the high performer. They're the the um, person that makes the most revenue, the, um, the go getter. And that doesn't always make the best leader. That doesn't necessarily transfer to leadership skills. And so oftentimes they're put into the role of leader and then they are floundering because it's not the same skills. They don't actually get to do the job that they were really good at, or they might do it too much and then they're not leading the group. And so if you were to you know, put it into a category, I would say that a lot of these people you know, are, are just really good at doing the job, um, doesn't transfer to leadership. The people that go into leadership that are automatically good 
so to speak, um, you know, are the ones that possess a lot of emotional intelligence. Um, they have empathy. They're able to communicate assertively. They're able to empathically listen. They're able to, um, you know, have the the hard conversations. Um, they have humility. They're they're able to look at a situation and say, "Hey, you know what? I did this wrong, and I accept my failures." And so, being a person for the team in which they lead are all very important attributes. Gotcha. With emotional intelligence, I feel like it gets thrown out so much. And it, sometimes it comes off as just how someone's personality. And at the same time, it's there's so much emphasis put on of how important it is, like mm-hmm. you're mentioning right now. But also seems like you're stating that sometimes people have it or they don't. But is do you think it's a skill that someone can learn? And, you know, is it something that the leaders you work with, do you look for them to already have that? Or is it most of the time it's okay, let me fix their emotional intelligence first. And then from there we can work on the results and everything else. Yeah. So (laughs) it's an interesting question you asked right now, because I've been doing a lot of work lately um, with that because emotional intelligence is really a set of skills. Um, And so, you know, oftentimes people are born with more charisma and the ability to lead, but we can learn all these things, right? We can learn how to communicate better and more effectively. We can learn how to listen with empathy. The thing with that is if you don't have that mental fitness behind you, and this is where I've been doing a lot of work on positive intelligence. So I can have all of those things as skills, but if I can't access them at any given time, like let's just say, for example, I'm having an emotionally charged situation or circumstance where I completely disagree with a person or they've, you know, hit my hot buttons, so to speak, you know, in, in work to be able to access those skills, emotional intelligence, takes a lot of doing. So that's where that positive intelligence comes into play. It's really that mental fitness that you have to be able to say, okay, I'm going to go down the path of sage. I'm going to be able to look at something from other person's perspective, even though I disagree with it. So unless you have that mental fitness and that, you know, that accessibility to be able to go down that correct path, all of those skills aren't going to do anything for you. So, you know, we can teach those skills all day long in leadership training, right? And and I'm not bashing that, of course, because that's what I do. You know, really, we, we need to know those skills. But if we're, if we're um, in any given situation and not able to use them, it really goes to waste. Can you elaborate a little bit on those skills that you do develop as, as part of Dynamic 365 and just what you've been doing uh, for over two decades? Yeah, so uh, so it's it's evolved definitely. Um, I, I started out working in in corporate America, and I certified in a bunch of great training programs. You know where we're we're really talking about those skills. What's evolved and what I'm seeing change is that we're looking a little bit more about the attitude of it. So we've got a bunch of skills, right? But the attitude really is driving that behavior right? And you're getting those results that we see. So um, what I've been teaching a lot are the skills, again, needing them. But most recently, 
especially when I'm coaching upper level executives, you know, they, they've been trained on this. They, they know how to do all these things, but common practice or excuse me, common sense, those things are not necessarily always common practice. So how can I help an executive or any leader look at themselves in the mirror and say, okay, in this given situation, what did you actually do? Because, in any given situation, you say, what would you do? And people know the right answer, right? You know, oh, yeah, right. Common sense tells me that I need to listen to that person. I need to, you know, be able to manage through conflict. But in the moment, what are you actually doing? So I'm really looking at that that mental fitness, which includes, right, looking at intercepting anything that's sabotaging a person. It might be judging it might be that you're a stickler, a controller. It might be you're a hyperachiever. You know, all those things come into play when um, you know a person is is dealing with others, right? And we all have them. We all have saboteurs. We're born with them. They're they're the reason why, as children, we're able to survive, right? We need to to be able to judge others, but to create a new pathway, right? To go to Sage, where you're actually using those skills of emotional intelligence, right? To be able to access that when it's the, the emotions are high or, you know, we're, we're in front of a crowd or we're leading people when we oftentimes are just doing, we're not thinking, you know, being able to go down that path of sage, right? You know, being able to draw on those things without even thinking about it, just just naturally. I love that the, the, when you mentioned the path of sage, um, but what's to dive a little bit deeper into it, when I think of a leader, especially an executive at a, maybe a, a medium to a large size organization, they're at a position where very few people are telling them what to do, let alone telling them they need to change. Um, yeah. And then not only coming and acquiring your services, but then the next step and you having to tell them, hey, you know what, you got to be kinder or you got to go to that path of sage or whatever workshops and tools that you use to get them to that path of sage. What are the challenges that you experience in doing that? And especially with someone as a leader, because you have that ego and you're kind of at the top of the food chain, sort of say in your organization, do you find that challenging? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're at the top of an organization, you're there for a reason, right? You're, you're, you're successful for a reason. And what got them there isn't going to maybe get them to change because, you know, whatever way got them there, I'm sure there was many great things, right? We want to, we want to acknowledge those as well. If they're looking to make changes and to up that level, what we're having to do is change neuropathways in the brain. And so, wow, how hard is that for any one of us, right? Right. <laughs> changing, changing those habits. And that's where it's difficult. If I can get a leader to be able to see that that might be the pathway that they're continuing to go on, you know, maybe there's there's um, something that's sabotaging them in a pattern, right? Being able to see that and say, okay, what would you do differently? And then look at that repeatedly, all right? So how does it come up, show up each time so that we can create a development plan exactly on what that that thing is? To play devil's advocate a little bit, you mentioned I, I'm a leader, right, uh, at an organization, and I'm going to tell you that, hey, I've got here for a reason. You know, what I've done so far is clearly work. So why mm -hmm. should I change the way I deal with people? Why should I go on this path of sage? Because from what I've done so far, right or wrong, clearly has worked. Right, right. 
Um, so a lot of times when people come into coaching, they don't necessarily come in with the attitude of why should I do anything different gotcha. unless they've been sent, right? <laughs> I do get those people, right? Like they've been sent to class or they've been sent to coaching because, you know, this is it, you know, that, that, that they're end of their career that we're going to let them go or, you know, you fix them or, um, most of the time when someone comes into a coaching engagement with me though, it's because they want to. So they're more willing to say, hey, help me hold up the mirror. Help me look at what I'm doing that might be getting in the way of me being a better leader. Um, so that's the case. Now, if they're, they're a person that's that's not, you know, oftentimes it's hard to move the needle and it's really hard to do. So, you know, people, it, it, it all comes to attitude, right? And really wanting and knowing and wanting to change for sure. How long do your projects typically take? Like if you start working with someone, does the timeline vary or do you have like a standard time where you can effectively coach them to where they need to go? Yeah, um, I really like working with people at least six months mm -hmm. um, because in order to, to, to find these these um, mental models, so to speak, you know, where, you know, where we're looking at the things that they continue to do takes a little bit of time, really love to do 360 feedback too. And that requires, uh, you know, a conversation with their boss, a conversation with three or four of their peers, a conversation with all of their employees for like 30 minutes, to just get that honest feedback, what, you know, helping me put up the mirror, here's what people are saying. And it's not just one person saying it, you know, it's it's three or four or more people saying some of the same patterns to help them say, OK, well, it's not just you saying it, Allison, but it's it's all these people that work for me and around me. Yeah. And I understand that um, you in the last 10 years or so, you've specialized further and further into neuroscience and you mentioned it briefly here as well. How important do you see the brain's me mechanisms um, in terms of developing yourself as a leader? And um, I would love for you to elaborate further on how you continue to use neuroscience in your different coaching and training yeah. developments. Um, almost 100%. Wow. Uh, I can say that. Um, but if you were to if you were to look at everything in a pie chart, I would say 85% is that mental fitness. 15% is those actual skills. So. I'm able to use those skills because of my attitude, that 85%. Um, and then it's just being able to do it. You can't really access doing it, you know, if you're not in that mental state. Um, so yeah, a lot. <laughs> I figured it just seems like the more, more time goes on, the more we learn about the brain, you hear so many different um, departments and different functions of business continuously go back to just researching and trying to figure out how the brain is affecting um, any and all action. Um, you you said you mentioned you mentioned that you coach executives. Do you coach other departments as well, or is it just the executives? Absolutely no, not just executives. In fact, um, throughout my career, I've taught all levels of organizations, and it really doesn't even matter what type of organization. I work with manufacturing. I work with financial. I work with um, you know, you name it, right? Automotive. Um, I love working with individual contributors too. We lead, we are leaders in our own lives, right? And so if we want to be able to help create positive change, even create a vision for ourselves, it's at the individual level. So no, it does not matter. I love that. Uh, one of the uh, taglines I have as, a, as an intro, I say, um, you know, this podcast is intending to help you lead a better life, both at work and at home. Um, and I think so many people 
still relate leadership to just that work and, and leading their team wherever it is. But um, I also believe that, you know, you can be a leader in your own life. And I think you, you should be uh, to lead, to live a positive and, 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 and enriching life. But um, I would love for you to elaborate further on that as you've coached so many leaders and you've helped people find that path to sage and just become a better leader. But for yourself, uh, what is your core leadership philosophy that you use to guide your life um, and ironically for your work and at home? Wow, nobody's ever asked me that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so much easier just to talk about someone else's. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. That's why I wanted to ask it. <laughs> I can tell people all day long, you know. What um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, and, and it leads me to a story about my life. Um, there was about eight years of my life where I was not walking the talk or, you know, doing what I've been, you know, preaching, practicing what I'm preaching for, for a long time in one certain uh, relationship in my life. And that was my husband. Um, we were going through a divorce and I found myself in court a lot. I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars I was so emotional about the situation because it involved my children and I couldn't see his perspective at all. Um, and, and I, I, I couldn't go there. I mean, it was, it was just this darkest period of my life. And so I feel like I went through that situation just so that I could be a better coach because, um, you know, a lot, oftentimes people tell me, especially at the individual contributor level, they're like, oh, well, you have no idea what it's like to work in this culture or that boss or, you know, this kind of person. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I do. Um, you know, and I think we've all had those people in our lives where, you know, everything kind of goes out the window. And so my mantra is always look, try to look at everything from another person's perspective. Um, the other person that's talking is always at least 10%, right? Look for that 10%. Um, that's going to help every relationship in your life. That's beautiful advice. And uh, you exemplified perfectly how uh, core leadership, uh, you know, principle can affect your life and, and, and help you get through some of the hardest moments um, that you mentioned. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. And I would, if I had to connect it, I would say your notion, especially recently of talking about positive intelligence, is that also stems from uh, that personal uh, experience that you had? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it didn't, you know, it wasn't by like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this because of that. It just mm -hmm. kind of fell onto my plate. Well, it actually happened um through COVID, I've learned so much about myself and my leadership through COVID. Um, it was one of those situations where it's like, wow, I've grown so much. Um, I talked to one person the other day up in San Francisco and they said, hey, you know, downtime is smart people's time to get smarter. And I thought, brilliant. This is my time. I'm not in a classroom all the time. I'm not doing a lot of work. Let me get smarter. And so I was gifted this, this program and it really has been, you know, it's like, okay, you know, I, I really need to change the way in which I go about coaching and the way in which I, I go about, and it, it, it's really turned everything on its head. And it really does make a lot of sense. Um, and that's where I'm speaking from. It's, it's 
you know, all of these years of doing it one way, which wasn't wrong. It's just that missing puzzle piece. Yeah, it's so refreshing hearing you say that and, and coach now on that positive intelligence because I just feel for the longest time, business leadership is just so result driven, which I, I get. I totally get the companies exist to produce results. You know, we're all here for a common mission and, and I get all of that. But the idea of humanity, the idea of dealing with other people and, and being nice and being positive and helping people reach their goals and it has nothing to do with you and having unconditional love for your team. It seems as though those terms just get kind of thrown out as soon as you step in the door of an office and people are focused on those results. And I think, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like even the consulting that was done in the past was also driven around, I'm here to make you create results. And they weren't really focused on, oh, hey, is your employee happy? But I don't even think that was even a question back then. No. Yeah, it, it was all about, okay, so what is the training? What's the ROI on the training? In fact, the coaching program that I, that I, the process that I use is called ROI coaching, right? What's my return on my investment? It's always about that. And absolutely important. That's why we're in business, right? We're in business to make money. And that point that you make, is happiness going to create that wealth? Absolutely. In fact, what's crazy, and I know that you were going to ask this, um, what is different these days about what, what leaders are asking for? You're not going to believe this, but I was asked to do a workshop for 41 people, like the whole company, on the seven spiritual laws of success. Now, have I never been asked that ever, ever before? Like, oh my gosh, you're going to spend, you know, all the resources in the company, money, mm -hmm. time. And the goal was, I just want my employees to be happier. That was the only purpose and goal. I was like, well, what about, what about learning skills? And what about our, I mean, I was bringing these things up to the person that was asking me, like, what's the purpose? What's all of this? And, and it was, it was just fascinating. He's like, no, Allison. I just want my employees to be happier because I know if they are happier, they will be better at their jobs and that will be all that we need. And I, I just thought, wow, wow. Right. That is fascinating. I love hearing that. And I love how it gives me hope that people are beginning to really understand that service leadership is not just a subset of leadership and a softer side. And it's just losing that. I think that terrible, reputation. Um, and I was someone that I had to find out through experience. You know, I came up, as you mentioned earlier, kind of the uh, got promoted, had to uh, manage a team, hire, train and, and manage them. And I was under the impression that, you know, ROI and uh, here are the skills I need to teach them. And here's what I need to do. Very scientific about it, um, yeah. which, as we've talked about throughout this conversation, it's very important. The ROI is important. And I would get kicked off if I wasn't producing it. So I needed to have that. But what I started to really recognize, and it was truly enlightening for me, is how much of an art leadership is uh, mm -hmm. in terms of I had an employee come in and they're really down and they're going through something very personal, having to hear that, having to listen yeah. to that, and then having to respond to that. And it was very eye-opening because I was caught off guard. And all the books that I had read did not prepare me for that moment. And it really not only made me appreciate leadership for, for how complex and how valuable it is, but as I started to connect with the human side with my team and, and just show them that unconditional love genuinely, not even forced, um, the results came in. In fact, the results 
weren't even a concern because they were going to roll in. I was genuinely concerned with, are you okay today? You know, how are you doing with your life? How's your mom doing? You mentioned that she was sick last week. Are you okay? You want to take a day off? Go home right now. Whatever the case may be, small or big, um, I really loved uh, really uncovering the the art and the human side of it. And that was a big, obviously, driving point for me to start this podcast. And everything you're saying right now, especially the last example, I fucking love it. Excuse my language on that. I think it's awesome. <laughs> cool, right? I, I, I love, I, it was almost like I could see the change in your body when you were forced to lead a certain way that was really even against your values. You know, you read it in books and blah, 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 blah. But then letting down your garden, you know, just knowing exactly what motivates you. Just think about that, right? What great leaders did you have? What kind of qualities and characteristics did they have or not, right? We can learn from the bad ones too. And and when you let go, it just came, right? Yeah. And to be that humble leader, that servant leader, like you were talking about, um, is really what people need, right? We're, we're supposed to be there for them, to help them. Um, and that's what it takes. A lot yeah. of people still, you know, think, oh, if I'm the boss, I have to know it all. I have to drive results. I have to be tough. I can't show them my personal side. I mean, people still think this way. A you lot know, of people do. Yeah. And change. it leads me, to, and, and uh, you led me to my next point that I want to bring up. Um, and I brought this up in all my episodes because I just find it such a fascinating topic. We have so much expertise around how to be a good leader now and people as amazing as yourself too are showing people the path to sage and the emotional positive intelligence and we have all the books that show the scientific side of it and x y and z will get you this result we have so much information of how to be a good leader yet on the other side there's still so many bad bosses and as you just mentioned right now there are people that still don't get it i am truly fascinated to figure out why that gap exists and I understand for, for your business and for your services, that need is necessary. And realistically, I don't. I think that demand is always going to be there. But do you see a world where there are very few bad bosses and a servant leader is lost its name because everyone who's a leader is a servant leader now? What are your thoughts on that? Wow, I wish I had the crystal ball. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I hate to be, you know, the, the person to say this, but I feel like um, the next generation coming, maybe not the, the next, next generation, but the one that's living in this COVID world um, and the one that's, you know, just graduating. I have a son that's 18. Um, they've been so forced or or maybe just put in a world where technology is there. And so let, let me text my girlfriend, whether or not we want to go out to eat tonight or, you know, there's no, there's none of this picking up the phone, you know, or like really seeing the emotions of a person. Um, and so you're not really getting it, you know, and that's part of those skills of emotional intelligence, reading body language and things. And, and so we're, we're reading texts or emails or now we're, you know, we're virtually <laughs> on these calls. Right. Um, it's it's kind of saddens me um and i guess i haven't really thought about it like do i ever see a world where that's happening mm -hmm. um i really hope that that is the case um i think it just takes a really long time it's like a big ship right mm -hmm. and to change its course it has to go you know it has to 
it takes a really long time. And I think, I think we're in the middle of, you know, the change and, and, and I think it might be going back and forth a little bit, but it probably will be not in my lifetime. That's so interesting. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, I, when I think of like classic leadership, uh, you know, it's results driven. And the, but then now, now I think of it, my generation and even younger generations, you know, it seems like we're on the other side of the spectrum where forget results, but even forget the human side, because we don't even have that connection. It's, is there even a passion to lead and to influence lives? Um, I don't yeah, want to be pessimistic, you know, I don't yeah, want to say that. Yeah, but it's I don't want to be pessimistic thinking of it. No, I'm just asking you, you know, you said, is there that passion to lead? And I'm wondering, is, is it? Is it there? Do they want that? You know? Yeah, I have I have uh, peers um, around me that say they don't. Why should I want that responsibility? That's just yeah. more work for me. Um, and I understand this whole new wave of work life balance. I think it's great. Uh, it's important for people to focus on their lives and their um, they don't live to work and they work to live. I get all that. Um, but I, I, I do fear uh, that uh, the other side of the spectrum as as you know, newer generations come about and get into the workforce that is there even a passion to influence lives um, and not just be a manager because you want the higher pay. But as you've mentioned, people get put into those positions and they think that, okay, I'm just getting the higher pay. I got to just produce results. And yeah, I'm just kind of thinking out loud now. Yeah, no, that's okay. Because I love to hear it from, from your perspective, because I think there's so many great things that come from your generation and that, Work life balance is important. I mean, look at the baby boomers. You know, it was it was um, you know live to work, not work to live, and and I, I think that shift has has it's a really important um, that passion to lead. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's a whole lot more headaches, and a lot of times in organizations you don't make more as a leader because you don't get overtime anymore. Now you're salaried, you know, instead of hourly, and and all of that, and and. Um, yeah, I mean, we. I think organizations really need to look at the way in which we're structuring um, performance and the, what we are giving as recognition and praise. It's not just the oh, I stayed within budget and I, you know, increased ROI, but what did you do for your people? And that has to be part of the rewards program. You know, it has to be built into okay. For me to be a better leader is part of what I'm expected to do um, and, and then define what that is. I love that. Um, and kind of last question that I want to ask to probably let you go is if someone's listening to, to this right now and they're a manager and they're struggling, whether they have teammates that don't like him um, or they're just struggling implementing anything, what is one advice that you could give them? And then to finish off, uh, how can people get in touch with you um, and contact you if they want to? Yeah. So one advice for that person that people don't like, Yeah, um, I would go back to the, the lesson I learned is always go back to really trying to understand the person that's talking to you, their perspective, really listen, just start listening and then start adding that empathy to it. So what are they saying and what are their feelings around it? And just practice that just getting into their perspective and people love to be heard all day long. Nobody's being heard. 
And if, if people don't like you, just start listening. That's great. And how can people get in touch with you? So I have a website and I, uh, my email, it's very similar. It's allison at dynamic365.net, um, A-L-I-S-O-N, just one L, I'm different. Al, <laughs> <laughs> that was my last name, Allison. Um, and then my website is um, dynamic365.net. That's great. Okay. Awesome. Allison, thank you again. Um, and actually, uh, we have actually come out with our first three episodes. I would love for you to hear them um, and get your thoughts on it. And then after I promote all those three, um, I'll be releasing this one. You're officially the fourth episode. And uh, again, thank you so much. Um, I, I really enjoyed our conversation and I hope to catch up with you soon. Absolutely. I would love to listen to those and then hear how your success is with your leadership as well. Oh, yeah, we can talk for hours on that. <laughs> As you can see, I can vent for hours on leadership. So we'll definitely have to catch up in regards to that. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that episode and I really, really appreciate your support. If you want to learn more, please visit leadershipev.com. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at rdg at leadershipev.com. That's A-R-D-I-G at leadershipev.com. Thank you and see you soon. And just ran a long distance. My girlfriend told me all I needed was persistence. Opportunity come one time, so don't miss it. I listen.